1: And in addition to my JD, I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I'm also a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observations and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation and transfer of wealth within families and communities, including tribal communities, and the roles of these particular aspects of economics play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice the related fields in my overall financial practice, including debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law. Now, with these areas of law as my reference points, that is to say, as they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance, I've spent the greater part of the last 40 years, both before and after getting my license to practice law, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities, and because I grew up as a military brat and also helped create another one with my former spouse, who was also in the military. I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be sometimes financially and economically for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen and women and Marines and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system. This is especially the case after these soldiers, sailors, airmen, men and women and Marines separate from the service along with their families. As such, I also proudly serve veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've shared with you many times before, uh, because I was raised by a father who taught me or instilled in me the requirement that I give back to our community, our overall community and our overall society as a whole, And that I have to do that. And on top of that, I had the great fortune to both know and spend a lot of quality time with and actually became friends with both my maternal and paternal grandmothers, both of whom survived the four great economic challenges of the 20th century. The Great Depression, the privations of World War II, and the systemic racism and misogyny that continues through and to our society today. Now, as these women helped raise me and always loved me and always shared with me some of the great stories of their grandparents who loved and raised them in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South, it is out of my great love and respect for these women who are always with me, urging me on, along with my dad, that when the situation is right, I am sometimes able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors and the disabled whose find themselves the targets of, and unfortunately more and more, are becoming the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of uh, disabled adult and elder financial abuse that you could ever imagine that seems to be running rampant. So the purpose of Selwyn's Law, in case you haven't guessed it, is to discuss the law related to your money, And more and more probably than not these days, the lack thereof, due to inflation, or at least you don't have a you have an insignificant amount thereof. And also want to discuss your overall finances and what you may need to do or consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your or your family's or your business's financial health, wealth, and money related well being. As I understand these concepts in this non-threatening educational form. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational form for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin your search for more detailed information that is tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances And hopefully to provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that may help you seek out and find the qualified professional help. I believe you need if you're having a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets, but especially your debt. Now, well, unless you were living under a rock the whole month of June and especially the last week of June... Uh, you know that the United States Supreme Court issued some very important rulings that I believe unfortunately ran a dagger through the heart of programs that had been sanctioned by historical precedent in our country for decades. Of course, I'm talking about the court's decision to end affirmative action in higher education. And as a corollary, the court also issued a ruling limiting the executive branch's ability to act in a crisis or a medical emergency, such as the COVID-19 pandemic, to help some citizens with much needed financial relief. It appears that assisting some citizens with much-needed financial relief is okay. I refer to the PPP programs and the other programs that helped small and large businesses during the crisis. That seems to be okay. But what isn't okay is if it appears that if that assistance involves relief from financially burdensome student loan debt, no matter how financially burdensome it is. Now, I make that distinction because some in our society were able, like I said, access federal government small business loan programs. And do you know that the vast majority of those loan programs were forgiven? Yes, they were forgiven. But student loan debt that may hinder the ability for the next generation to be able to go out and do things like start families and buy homes and set aside money for their retirement, that's not okay. So that's why I have a problem with it, especially since more than just a handful of members of our elected body back in Congress, and I'm sure throughout the states, they were able to access these funds and their loans have been completely forgiven. But in as much as the court's affirmative action ruling in the case of Student for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus the president and fellows of Harvard College, and that's case number 21199, and a companion case known as Students for Fair Admissions Incorporated versus University of North Carolina, that was case number 21707, they were decided on June 29, 2023, along with the court's student loan ruling in Biden versus Nebraska et al. Those cases, they affect my personal cohort, that is to say, people of color wanting to expand the opportunities for their families to secure a larger and more substantial stake in our great American dream by first gaining an opportunity to attend a university or a college and also, as important, being able to pay for that education. So as you should know, and I hope you do know, because I'm sure you've heard this in the news media, But in the cases of the student for fair admission versus Harvard College, one lawsuit, and the other one versus the the University of uh, North Carolina, in those cases, the court determined that if a university uses any um, affirmative action that makes any distinction about race, Uh, that particular um, use of race is violative of the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause. And therefore, uh, the Supreme Court put the big kibosh on that. And in the matter of Biden versus Nebraska, uh, that's dealing with student loan debt forgiveness or cancellation, the court held that at least one of the six states that challenged uh, president biden's student loan forgiveness plan they held out or na- they named specifically the state of missouri they said that missouri had an article 3 standing because it was an issue as to whether or not these uh, states actually had a harm in um, in order to bring a lawsuit in federal court. you can't be speculative. It can't be, I think, uh, it might or anything. You actually have to have been harmed by whatever it is that you're challenging in a federal court. And so in that matter, the Supreme Court held that at least one of the six states, again, Missouri, had standing to challenge the Secretary of Education's program, that used the Heroes Act, and they said uh, the Heroes Act is an emergency um, provision, and um, from which they said uh, the Heroes Act allowed the Secretary of Education to modify, but not cancel. And in as much as that's what the uh, administration wanted to do, that was violative of the 14th Amendment equal, um, it was a violative of um, it, it went too far. Let me just put it that way. So when we come back, we'll continue this discussion, focusing not on, so much on the past, but what we need to do in the future to make sure that everyone who wants to go to college and is smart enough to get in can attend college. But first, we'll take a short break and I'll see you on the other side.
2: back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law. As I try to focus our attention on what it is that we in the black and brown community who can no longer, according to the Supreme Court, uh, use um, the fact that we are black or brown, or our allies, can not use a race as a determinant factor anymore. What can we do to make sure that our children have access to a quality education? Again, um, there were some major cases that were decided um, last week, the last week of June. One of the cases dealt with eliminating. Uh, affirmative action that is race-based in any way from being used to um, as a uh, determining uh, criteria for selection of uh, students to be admitted into uh, a class of higher education. And the other case was Biden versus Nebraska, where the court held that at least one of the six states that challenged the Biden administration's student loan forgiveness program. And they named Missouri in specific, saying that it did have standing because it had a special program that was administered by the state of Missouri uh, that um, derived some funding by uh, um, allowing it to administer student loan debt. And if that student loan debt was canceled, Missouri, according to the Supreme Court, would lose money, and that would be an actual harm that would rise to the level of being able to be a party in a federal lawsuit. Uh, Ultimately, uh, the court in that matter said that the HEROES Act, which gave the Secretary of Education through the executive branch the ability to modify uh, loans, student loans in the case of some kind of emergency, Because um, the Biden plan called for the cancellation of debt, Um, the Supreme Court said that that was a step too far. Modification did not, in its belief, extend to cancellation. And if cancellation was what was required, it would have to come from Congress and not the president. So. Again, I want to focus on what it is that members of the communities that have been infected need to focus on, because the, the goal hasn't changed. The goal is to make sure that our children have access to a quality education, a, a piece of the American dream. While maybe not totally diminished, it becomes exceedingly hard to do so. And so I want to share uh, a a bit about how it is that I became a Black lawyer against the odds. And I got to say that it was an accident of birth or divine providence, and likely both, coupled with the fortitude of my parents and grandparents. Now, some on the court say that one who is able to overcome odds, that is an example of why it is that we need to do away with these programs. Again, I say it was an accident of birth. It was divine providence or both coupled with the fortitude of my parents and grandparents. And as we know, not everyone has the great fortune to have providence an accident of birth, and really strong grandparents. In fact, most of us don't, but that does not take away the fact that all of us need to have access to an education, a quality education. And if a minority is held up as an example for all, that is just basically um, uh, intellectual dishonesty. So I'm going to share with you a bit about me again. My grandparents on both sides were born in the segregated south in Mississippi, as was I as their economic and educational paths at birth were supposedly predetermined, as were those of their children and grandchildren, including me for you see if They or I have been born into a black family with some economic means, limited or otherwise, such that they or I could have attended historically black college or university down south. Or if we had a relative up north willing and able to assist they or I in attending an integrated school in the north or then being able to go to an integrated college in name only in the north, that might have been a possibility. But at that time, whether you were educated in the South or in the North as a Black person, they or I, if we were male, could learn to become a preacher, a teacher, or a soldier. Or if they or I were female, we could have learned to become a teacher. However, if they or I were born into a poor family, as most Blacks were and are, including my own family, there I would not get much of an education at all because their or my labor would be needed as soon as possible to contribute to our family's basic economic needs. And many, if most poor black families at the time faced a reality on the ground that mandated that any education must pass the sixth grade was a luxury that they could not afford. And I'm talking about my grandparents when I talk about a sixth grade education. That meant that they, uh, and just about every child born to a poor black family in the South would remain in that economic status for their duration. And if they were born male, They could grow up to work on a farm or be a laborer. Or if they were a girl, they could grow up to be a maid. And purportedly, that would be the end of the story. However, my dad had a great mother, my grandmother, who did a couple of things out of the ordinary for a woman born in 1909. First, she decided that she would have a very small family. That is to say, no more than two children for whom she would devote her life to make sure that they would go beyond the third grade education she had and would not become a sharecropper as she was. And secondly, she put her foot down and informed her husband, my grandfather, that if he did not move the family from that farm that they were sharecropping on, uh, on the very same plantation that generations before they had been slaves, And who, in fact, hadn't been able to purchase their freedom, she, my grandmother, would move her two young sons to a town nearly 100 miles away from that farm where there was a segregated school system where they could go to school. So, of course, my grandfather acceded to my grandmother's wishes. As such, both my father and uncle attended segregated public schools and graduated from high school with good grades. And my grandmother looked forward to both of them attending an historically black university or college. However, my dad and uncle watched way too many World War I and World War II movies on that segregated balcony located in the theater in that little town, such that when he and his younger brother graduated from high school, they tried to fulfill their dreams of becoming soldiers and serving their country and being like Audie Murphy, a famous World War II hero. On my mother's side, there were several generations of women who mostly did not marry, but had only one child, a girl, who each generation was taught to be self-sufficient, starting with my maternal great-great-mother, great My grandmother's grandmother, who was born right at the end of slavery on or about the end of the Civil War and who was a girl, learned the trade of bookbinding and worked in the public library where she pieced together torn and tattered books. And she was so respected in that little black backwater town where her family had lived for generations and where my dad's family moved, that when she died, Just about everybody in the town, white and black, came to her funeral, including four-year-old me. And I had spent a lot of time with my great-great-grandmother because my mother wanted me to know her, and she dropped me off, and I spent a couple of weeks with her when she was in her late 80s. So I am the product of a black man who decided to plot his own course and become a soldier and a black woman who is free and independent, like her independent generations before her. So I'm telling you this because I think that we as black people need to focus on using technology and whatever tools of the trade we can muster to prepare our next generation so that they can go to the schools of their choice And if they can't get into schools that they choose, we can use technology to teach them ourselves because we're going to need this next generation to pull us out of the hole that our current generation has dug for us all. So I'm going to leave it there for now. But as always, in closing here at Sellins Law, we want to stay on the right side of the law, including overcoming bad rulings by the Supreme Court. <laughs> so we're going to leave it there for now Till next time. Take care and keep a positive attitude. Bye for now.